0: What's going on welcome into the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson and greetings from San Francisco, California, where tonight the Pelicans take on the Golden State Warriors. Game number two of this four-game road trip that takes the team all the way through the Christmas holiday. Of course, the Pelicans snapped their 13-game losing streak on Wednesday night against the Minnesota Timberwolves in Minnesota. And now they look to build a winning streak as they take on the Golden State Warriors tonight. What a win for the Pelicans on Wednesday night. Again, the Timberwolves had four days rest. They didn't play since last Friday, and the Pelicans, one of the toughest road home or home road back-to-backs, I should say, with a plus two-and-a-half-hour flight and, of course, an overtime game the previous day. But the Pelicans showed up, and took care of business in game number one, and now look to make it win number two on this four game road trip and speaking of the Golden State Warriors we'll talk to the radio analyst of the Golden State Warriors Jim Barnett he was also on the television side for most of his broadcasting career he also played for the New Orleans Jazz back in the 74-75 season and we want to get his thoughts on just playing in the Crescent City and also playing with Pistol Pete Maravich and we'll also talk about tonight's game at the brand new Chase Center the Pelicans will get the first look at the new arena for Golden State it's now in San Francisco not in Oakland So the commute, not as bad for the Pelicans as they head into tonight's game. It's a late one, 9.30 p.m. Central Time, and I'll have more info on that after our interview with Jim Barnett. But I wanted to get started on the interview with Jim. Of course, again, a guy that played for the New Orleans Jazz, something special. Of course, they played in basically an auditorium where the Superdome used to be. Where Subdome is now. So um, here it is. Here's Jim Barnett on playing with the New Orleans Jazz, and also about tonight's game with the Golden State Warriors. Jim, first of all, appreciate you coming on the podcast. How are you?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, thanks for coming on, uh, Jim. I kind of wanted to talk about your time here in New Orleans, whether it was one year or not. Um, just talk about first initially when you came to New Orleans and was a member of the Jazz. Uh, what was it like playing in this city? Um, before even had a team like the Pelicans and Hornets?
1: Well, I have to say, uh, once I made the team, and it it was terrific, and I I say made the team because, if I recall, this was the only expansion team that year. And you had, uh, uh, I don't know, over 20 veterans from other teams that had been in the expansion dispersal Trying out, and then you had their, you know, their draft picks—the first pick and the second pick—in those days. And I think there were only 18 teams. I think that the Jazz made the 18th team that year in in the league, and that was my—I believe that was my ninth year in the league. So I was 30 or 31, and uh, I didn't have a guaranteed contract. I never had a guaranteed contract in all the years that I played in the 11 years, and so. uh, you know, it was dog-eat-dog, dog and you had to go make the team, so it, it wasn't like today where you got a guaranteed contract, and you're going down there, and everything's going to be hunky-dory, so, and I had, unfortunately, in a workout, uh, playing with my former Warriors teammates up in San Francisco, had broken my thumb on uh, going for going for a drive, and some guy hit me and broke my thumb, and so I missed all of training camp, and that put me behind the eight ball, but i tell you what, um, I, I was running all the time, and I love the first coach, Scotty Robertson. I think he was just terrific. I know he's deceased now, as is the second coach, Butch Van Bredikoff. But Scotty was terrific. He gave me a chance, and I I played in one or two exhibition games before the season began. And he liked me enough that he started me alongside, you know, Pete Maravich, and and so uh, I I was solidified there. And it was uh, it was it was fun that year in in New Orleans. We weren't very good. <laughs> I think we mm-hmm. I think. When Scotty got fired, I think we were 1-12 or 1-13 before Butch Van Bredikoff took over.
0: Uh, Jim, take me back to, uh, I believe you all played in Municipal Stadium, which is where the Superdome is right now. Um, talk about the stadium, what it was like. What was the atmosphere like at those games for the year you were in New Orleans?
1: Well, first of all, it wasn't a stadium. It was a municipal auditorium.
0: Okay. And it, and it,
1: had, it had a stage. It had a stage. <laughs> and, it, it you know, it didn't resemble anything – today, or even in those days, like regular arenas. Um, it was small. It was condensed. The dressing rooms were very, very small. But, you know, I, I like that kind of cozy atmosphere in there. And uh, we got good crowds. I, I I started out really well. And I always say, by the way, um, Pistol Pete Maravich let me, let me score. And I had the first 30-point game in Jazz history, which is a fact, by the way. I can't remember who we played, but I scored... Thirty points somewhere along in one of the first four or five games, and um, I have to say there was a it, it was a real tough thing because uh, Pete had undergone a family tragedy, and he that's, he missed I think he missed the first three, four, five basketball games uh, that year. And then when he came on board, it was fun playing with a guy like Pete Maravich. And I will say this about Pistol Pete Maravich, he would be a greater player today. We weren't ready for him at that era in that era. In the mid-70s, we weren't ready for Pistol Pete Maravich. He was too good, and the coaches and the players alike would not allow him to do all the things that he was capable of doing. Today, you'd be talking about LeBron James. You'd be talking about, uh, obviously, Stephen Curry, uh, wh- whoever it may be, Antetokounmpo. But Pete Maravich would be right in the midst of them, and that's the kind of player he was. He was ahead of his time.
0: I'm glad he brought him up, because I did I did not have the pleasure of watching him play, but I know, obviously, you played with him. Um, what was it? Just describe his style for me. I know you compare him to some of the modern-day guys right now, but describe the, the type of play, uh, the style of play he had uh, back there when you played with him.
1: Well, first of all, he was six six, and so he was a big point guard, if you will. So he was a point guard and a shooting guard and a small forward that offensively had... No weaknesses whatsoever. Obviously, his handle of the ball, his dribbling capability, going in traffic, uh, taking the ball wherever he wanted to go. You know, the one mark of a great basketball player is he can get to any spot on the floor at any given time. If you can do that, you're ahead of the game. Pistol Pete could do that. He could go anywhere he wanted. He could beat anybody off the dribble. But he also had long-range jump shots. Um, you know, he averaged a little over 44 points a game in his three years at LSU, and there was no three-point line. And I think the, the least he scored, I think, believe it was 43-8 or 43-9. He was very consistent every year, right around 44 points a game, with no three-point line. Uh, that record will never be broken. Nobody's going to score that many points. He was unbelievable. He could shoot from the outside. Uh, he was a gunner. He, he, you know, I mean, he, he took shots. You might call him bad shots today, but most of the time he made them. Uh, he was an offensive force. He was a catalyst. He pushed the pace of the game like no other player I've ever seen in, in my era at all. And he just was a, a joy to watch. He was a joy to play for. And he was a hell of a good guy. And I, and I know, you know, that enlarged heart that he had, the defect, I can't believe they never discovered that. And, you know, when he died at 40, it just shocked everybody.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, obviously, the New York, New Orleans Jazz, and them moving to Utah. Jim, when you think about the team moving to Utah, did you ever think that the city of New Orleans yeah. would get a basketball team again after that?
1: Uh, yes, because I thought uh, it was a, a good place and a, and a good area, and there aren't any teams, you know, very near here and, and near New Orleans. And so I thought that um, it, w- it was a good city for it. I, I know they didn't support it as much. Uh, they tried, and I know you got the Charlotte team one time and. All that kind of thing. I don't know all what went on, but um, yeah, I'm not surprised. Uh, I will be surprised. I'm surprised at this. That I think it was after seven years they moved to Utah, and then Utah didn't change their name because Utah Jazz doesn't make sense to me because there's right. and there's not much jazz in Utah, but it's perfect for New Orleans. And I, you know, I know you're the Pelicans now, uh, but I still wish you to retain the the uh, New Orleans Jazz name. I think that belongs in New Orleans.
0: I think everyone would agree with you. On that um, talk about just the city in general um, between all your visits here um, as a television broadcaster now radio broadcaster and your time in New Orleans um did you have do you have certain go-to spots uh, is there anywhere around the city that you always have to go to uh, when you come to New Orleans
1: not necessarily now I you know I don't venture too far from our hotel um, I, I try to avoid Bourbon Street uh, quite frankly Uh, Not interested in going down there. So although they're off some of the side streets, there are some very fine restaurants. And when I think of New Orleans, I think of great food. And that's my primary focus is that. And you know we have team dinners and what have you. And uh, it's the best place. I I think it's the best place in the world to eat. (laughs) And I listen. I've been to Europe, all over Europe. I've been to so many countries. I've been to Europe over thirty-five times. And uh, I love traveling. But I have to say, I don't think there's any better food. And we have great food in San Francisco. I know that. But there's, there's nothing like New Orleans food.
0: Jim, let's get to the, the Pelicans and the Warriors before I let you go. And I think uh, we would both agree that uh, I don't think any of us saw this coming that these two teams would enter tonight's ballgame with these records. Um, kind of, um, you all are kind of going through the same thing the Pelicans have with injuries, especially with your main guys and, and Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and obviously D'Angelo Russell. Um, but how, how has it been this year, kind of going through sort of not a rebuilding, but obviously um, kind of seeing some young players get a lot of playing time just based on the injuries, especially after the run you all had um, in the last five years?
1: Well, it's, uh, it's kind of a, a shock, but it's, it's different. But it was so um, sudden that, uh, you know, okay, we, we knew it was going to be different when Kevin Durant opted not to uh, stay with the Warriors. And obviously, uh, Clay Thompson with an ACL, probably going to miss the entire year. But we, we also knew that uh, getting back to Angelo Russell um, in the uh, trade with Kevin Durant and uh, Brooklyn, that he could score. And then you got Stephen Curry, who's a great leader, great scorer, but two-time MVP. So I expected, you know, that they would make the playoffs and uh, be kind of above-average team. But then early in the season, Stephen Curry goes down and, you know, missing at least three months so everything's gone to hell. So, but you know what? I have to say, it's really a pleasure broadcasting games with all these young players that they have, guys who are trying to make a niche in the NBA and make a career in the NBA. And even though they're losing, I never, I never measure the game and the end result on a win or a loss. I measure it on growth, uh, what, how guys are becoming better players. Uh, they're really, really fine young men. Uh, you know, we've, we've had undrafted players have incredible uh, impact so far, and it hasn't resulted in, you know, a lot of wins, obviously, at, at this point. The, world, the Warriors have the worst record in the league. But uh, I, I, I feel sorry for, for uh, the Pelicans. I really do because, you know, you lost Anthony Davis, all right? That is a huge, huge, huge loss. And the, But you have someone else there in, in, to make up for it, even – Maybe better, and everybody's excited about it in Zion Williamson, and then he goes down and is yet to play. That's uh, that's a real blow. The Warriors, you know, they've had five trips to the finals the last five years. Uh, the Pelicans, you know, I know two years ago you won forty-eight games, you went to the playoffs, you got by the first round. I think the Warriors knocked you out in the second round. Um, so you're you're looking up and everything. Uh, I know you got a lot of good players in return, and I'm surprised that it's been this difficult. Um, uh, for the New Orleans pelicans right now uh, and after this you know recent losing streak that you've been on it's uh, it's, it's got to be tough on Alvin Gentry and the rest of the players You just have to stick with it but I sure hope the heck you get Zion Williamson back quickly because he's a difference maker.
0: Thanks to Jim for coming on today's podcast We had technical difficulties at the end of the interview so I did not have a chance to say goodbye to him but a lot of great insight on his days with the New Orleans jazz and of course the Pelicans get ready for another game against the golden state warriors tonight 9 30 p.m central tip no longer on espn but you can watch locally of course on fox sports new orleans with joel myers antonio daniels and jen hale todd graffinini and i will have the call on espn new orleans 100.3 fm and the entire pelicans radio network presented by smoothie king our pregame will begin at 9 p.m central time a couple late ones here on the rest of this road trip it'll be nine o'clock on monday against the blazers And then 8.30 on Wednesday, the last game of the Christmas, I guess, five game. I don't know how to say, I know quadruple header, um, but there's five games on Christmas and the Pelicans are the last game of the night against Nuggets. So uh, a few late ones here, but hopefully you can stay up and watch this team and a chance to um, secure a uh, 500 road trip with a win tonight against Golden State. Big thanks to Caroline Gonzalez for producing the show all the way back in New Orleans. Until tonight, from San Francisco, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.